Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Sleeves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. Are you a small business owner who thinks they paid too much in taxes? We can help. Give us a call or book a meeting by clicking the link in the show notes to book a free financial consultation so you can have peace of mind about your financial future. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. If you're a business or HR leader and you're needing a competitive employee benefits package, we can help there too. Check us out to build a customized benefits package that fits your business and budget. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, back at it, Podcast Friday, one of my favorite times of the week or month, depending on how many we're recording, and here with my co-host and, as always, business partner, Al, what are you saying this week? Always looking forward to it again, and you know, you and I had a little chat just yesterday about how much we enjoyed the podcast and how much it's evolved over the years, but become, you know, a favorite part of our week or month, like you just said. So again, looking forward to speaking with our guest today and looking forward to another great conversation. I am too. And I, uh, one of the comments I made yesterday after 161 conversations with a lot of great people, I feel like I'm a better version of myself than it was 161 episodes again, because you get to hear from different people from all walks of life and different perspectives. So it's a learning experience for me and I'm really excited and I couldn't be more excited about today's guest, because for anyone that's listened to the show before, they know how we get our guests is by introduction. And we live by the tenant that really good people know other really good people. So this one was interesting because we had Alex Stark on the podcast, I guess it was a week or two ago, and her episode's going to be coming out. By the time you hear this, it'll be out. And we had such a great time having a conversation. We liked Alex and we said, hey, Alex, who else do you know? And she said, well, I actually live with someone that you might be interested in chatting with. And of course, we have our chemistry call, we hit it off. And I think this topic is going to be so valuable for so many people I know. And as I was putting together the bio, I was thinking not enough business owners do this or consider this. So without further ado, joining us today is Michael Stark, who is the co-founder of Ungrind. We're going to talk about what that is. With over a decade of experience advising business owners on growth and strategy, he is a trusted expert in the field. Through his work in management and strategy consulting, he has been instrumental in helping numerous businesses navigate the complexities of scaling and growth. Spending the last five years as a partner at a strategy consulting firm, he has successfully supported businesses as they mapped and executed strategic plans. His knowledge and strategy acumen have been honed through extensive work with diverse clients across various industries. More recently, he has obtained his designation as a certified exit planning advisor. With a focus on helping business owners prepare for their eventual exit, He understands the delicate reality of what it takes for an entrepreneur to exit their business. His unique approach lies in prioritizing the business owner's personal aspirations and crafting a tailored plan to align their desired lifestyle and their post-business reality. Passionate about empowering entrepreneurs to break free from the relentless cycle of business ownership, 
He is committed to guiding them towards personal clarity by helping business owners understand what they truly want out of life and envisioning their ideal post-business reality. He enables them to design a comprehensive and executable roadmap. Actively following his own advice, Michael is based in Collywood, Ontario with his young family. He spends his free time enjoying the outdoors, constantly striving to ensure that his business supports his personal goals as it continues to scale. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Robin. Appreciate it. It's funny, you know, again, I was looking forward to this conversation because, again, I think a lot of people are going to benefit from it. And I was talking to a lawyer, a lawyer by trade, but he works in a technology firm. And he was talking about the founder not being able to let go. And I think a lot of people get stuck in either the way too long to think about what's important and what life looks like when you want to exit the company or they just never think about it. So I want to really dig into that on this episode. So I'm really glad you're here. But why don't we start at the beginning? Ungrind. Tell me about that. What is it you do? Where did that come from? I love the ungrind, by the way, because everyone talks about the grinds. I love the ungrind part. So maybe you can just start there. Yeah, the name was fun to come up with. It took a while, took some iteration. It actually took some support from a great branding and marketing firm to arrive at what it was when we kind of realized that Ungrind was the answer and realized that it was the perfect play on words to exactly what you're saying. I mean, there's a lot of talk these days about the grind and the need for people to grind it out in, in a good way and a bad way. And the reality, I think, for business owners is it's very difficult to contemplate the kind of ungrinding piece and what it looks like to actually extract yourself and get yourself out of it. Well, there's almost a heroism in the grind. Now, and I've chatted about this, and, and I used to be guilty of this too, and I'm getting much better at it, and I was much better than I am. But there's almost this, you've got to prove something when you're in your working career, and there's nothing wrong with working hard, but when you you know say grind, it brings up these images of what I used to do, and I'd be sending Al Slack messages, and I'm on the beach in Aruba, and he's saying, hey, that's great, but what are you doing? And I finally learned, and now it's funny, our other business partner is on vacation right now. And he's sending me messages like, oh, what's going on with this? Like, we'll talk on Monday. Yeah. Like, and now it's me saying that. So I love the part about you are actually walking your talk because there's a lot of people out there who are trying to do things for other people, but they're not doing it themselves. So the fact that, you know, you're in Collingwood, I'm sure that was a very purposeful decision for you guys. You know, you're out of the city, you've got that lifestyle. So kudos to you. And I'm sure you're having some interesting conversations with those people about, hey, what is it that you want to do? It's interesting. I mean, we'll often use the analogy of a hamster wheel, which is what business owners get trapped in. Because the idea of hard work, the idea of hustle, the idea of grinding it out, there's no kind of inherent problem with that. But to your point, it kind of becomes this perpetual state of life for people. So, you know, yes, you're starting a business or scaling it. There is a need to work hard. Maybe that means long hours, whatever it looks like. But it reaches a point where you kind of have the right to start to bear the fruits of all your labor. And for business owners, it's difficult to get out of that trap. So you end up in that hamster wheel and you're spinning and you're spinning and you're spinning and you're going harder and you're working harder and you're doing more. And all of that is just really hard to break free from. And I think that's a common problem for owners, kind of regardless of how far into the journey they are. It could be a decade, two decades or three years, but you can reach a critical mass of the business where you can take a step back and really think about what matters to you. And maybe it does still make sense for you to work 100 hours a week and whatever comes with it and be on the beach sending Slack messages and that's okay. But at the same time, there's an alternative out there that can be viable and make sense for a lot of people. Michael, can you talk about why you went down this path? Was it personal experience that you found yourself caught up in the grind or did you see people around you or like, 
It's not something that I've heard of people doing before. Why'd you go down this path? Yeah, it's a good question. There's a couple of different things that led me here. So it was a kind of organic transition career-wise for me. The management consulting firm that I was with, there were five partners, I guess, by the end. And we had a sister company that did risk management consulting work, and we were bleeding over more and more into working with that company. And it changed the nature of the work that we were doing. And we had arguably less outside clients, so less kind of small to mid-sized enterprise owners that we were working with. And more work on a concentrated basis. And the first thing that kind of became a reality for me was the fact that I didn't have that same tangible connection to owners. If you're doing work for larger enterprises, you're not always helping the individual the same way. And the other piece that I realized on that side of it was that there's a lot that you can do to help a business owner in the kind of conventional consulting and advising space where you'll help them grow or enter a new market or refine operations. There's that whole world and you can have a successful engagement. And when it's all said and done and you look at the owner after, typically they're in the exact same headspace. So maybe you've worked with them for a year or two and you've helped them, you know, double their size or enter an entirely new market, whatever it was, you've been successful in your mandate. But when you look at the owner, they have a little more money or a little more time or both, but they're still in the exact same spot and they still don't necessarily know where they're going as an individual. They're still tethered to their business. To Robin's point, they're still sending Slack messages from the beach. None of that has shifted. So when we were figuring out what to do with the previous advisory firm, a friend of mine who was my co-founder at Ungrind, he had gone and gotten the SEPA designation, which is something that the Exit Planning Institute provides. And a big part of what they generally push at the EPI is the idea that owners should think about themselves. They call it the personal financial, which is really just your financial life outside of the business and the business. And most owners get in the trap of thinking of one of those, and that's typically the business, and they ignore the rest of it. So there was that piece layered in, and then I do have a few people in my life that are kind of significant parts of my life that are business owners who are kind of in that, I don't know, 60, 65 plus demographic who will have conversations about what matters to them, how they want to spend their time, what they want to be doing. And when you look at the reality of their life, it's very different. And then it's because they haven't really had the opportunity to start to separate themselves from their business. So seeing that and seeing what they are going through on the personal side kind of caused me to realize, hey, wait a second, there's really something here. There's an opportunity to better help owners in a different way, in a way that really focuses on them first. Not to say that it doesn't contemplate, you know, the growth in the business and business valuation and all the stuff that comes with that. But as a starting point, it's tough to have a meaningful conversation about how much money you need when you exit. Or a meaningful conversation about how large you need to scale your business or what that growth path looks like until you really understand what's your goal. What's really driving you as an individual? Where are you trying to get? If you're trying to open a wing in the local hospital, that's a significantly different scenario than if you want to send your grandkids to university. And if you don't have that clarity, then you end up back in that trap, back in that hamster wheel of, I need to grow, I need to grow, I need to grow. It's always more. It's always something that has to be next. And so it's just helping kind of break free of that. From what you just said, I can relate and I've seen this even with some of our own clients and probably even with ourselves because we're going down that path to a certain extent ourselves. When you're dealing with a business owner who is trying to ungrind, what are some of the big challenges you see that are tough to get past? Tough to get past for them? Yeah, like the things that you have to work on with them that they really have struggles with. Yeah, there's the one that's the kind of obvious one that people allude to all the time, if not speaking about directly, which is the fact that owners often see their business as essentially as another child. And it's such a significant part of their life. They're just so tied to it as one of the most important things in their world. And that's not an easy thing to break free from. But coupled with that is the challenge that 
Well, I think people refer to it as kind of ugly baby syndrome in the sense that you look at your own baby and you always think it's the cutest thing in the world. People look at their business and they think, you know, this business is spectacular. I love it. I've been doing it for 15 years. And it's difficult to take a step back and say, okay, would someone else actually like or want this business? And the problem that causes is a significant number of private companies that are put up for sale don't sell. And part of what drives that is the kind of lack of alignment with the owner's perspective with the reality of the business. So owners will tell you their bit, yeah, my business is great. When I'm ready to get out, someone's going to buy it. It's going to be worth X dollars. There's this whole road they go down. They have their internal perspective on it. And taking a step back and looking at the business objectively and saying, okay, well, let's take a beat and think about this. Is this a business, A, that would be saleable in the first place? And B, if it is, what would someone actually pay for it and why? And getting owners around to that and starting to see their business as the asset that it is, not to diminish the importance of your business or you know what it means to you, but the reality is it's an asset that you have. And starting to look at it that way and to start to remove or dial back the emotional connection to it to let you look at it objectively can be really challenging with owners. How do you talk to business owners who there's never enough? Yeah. I have a goal. I think this is where I want to be. But then when they get there, well, I need more. I think I can do more. I think I can build it up even more and do even better. How do you get out of that trap? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the crux of the initial conversation with owners. You end up in this world where, to your point, you want more, you can hit this target, you're growing towards that. And it's all these kind of strange externalized aspects of your business and your growth. And a lot of it relates to, you know, hey, a friend of mine sold their business recently for $10 million, or they sold it for a 4X multiple on EBITDA. And suddenly you start to think that would be nice. I'd like to do that. Or, you know, that's an interesting market. I'd like to enter that market, but it's not based on what you actually want. So this comes back to the initial conversation with them. Hey, before you even start thinking about, does that market make sense? You know, you're... 73 years old or you're 42, however old you are, doesn't really matter. But you're at a point where you could look at it and say, okay, well, this is what I really want. I want to move to Collingwood as an example. And if I'm running this business, I'm tethered to Toronto. Okay. So then let's take a step and think about what would it take for you to move to Collingwood? Well, I need to buy a house. I want to buy a place on the water, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, good. So we can start to quantify this now. So if you want to buy a place on the water, that's going to cost you X dollars. But the only way to really break them free of the cycle you described, Al, is to actually help them understand what really matters to them and what their objective is. I think when you ask the question, the answer is that it's not easy. That's probably one of the bigger impediments to doing this work with owners is that that's not an easy dialogue to have. It's not a necessarily a fun dialogue for them. There's a lot of poking and prodding and uncomfortable conversation and questions about what really matters and why. And there is no wrong answer for anyone and everyone's answer is unique. And it's just making sure you understand what your answer is as an individual. Yeah, and, and to your point, That is really what a lot of business owners are. It's a part of them and it's the drive that has got them where they are. Yeah. And it's tough for them to get out of that and give that up. So, yeah, it's interesting because if you talk to most owners and to a degree that's worse than kind of your conventional employee who's going to be retiring, if you talk to them about what the next chapter will look like, what the next piece of their life will look like, all they'll generally talk about are activities, which is fine. And that's one component of what you need to contemplate, but it's things like golf. And if you talk to someone, I mean, I've had conversations with people who are 18-ish months out at having sold their business. Financially, they did well. There's no problem. They never have to work again. And they're essentially having an identity crisis because they thought this is going to be great. I'm going to spend more time at my place in Florida. I'm going to golf more and, and all that stuff. And, and that's fine. And that's true. But those are just activities. Those aren't going to give you the same fulfillment. Let's talk again once you played golf five days a week for the next 18 months. Right. And when you discover, as soon as you start playing, that half of your friends you plan to golf with still have their businesses, their careers, and they're able to play one day a week. 
So maybe the five days you thought you were going to get is actually one. Now you've got four extra days. But it really is, if you talk about what the next piece will look like, there's this kind of strange direction that people default to where they start to go up with the activities, which is really just based on the lack of time they have now. So they think about the activities they'd like to spend more time doing, and they settle on that as what's going to replace their business. And it's just, it's not enough. You need something deeper and, and something that gives you a little more purpose, more reason to get up in the morning than just the actual stuff that you want to do. On our side of the business too, we run into ugly baby syndrome. Part of our growth strategy, I mean, organic growth, of course, but it's through acquisition. And we've met with some other advisors in the business. And of course, their ugly baby, they think their block is worth just so much more than anybody else's. And then we talk about, okay, you know, that's the value that you want. Let's see if we can come to terms. And then we need you to stay around long enough to just transition the block over a couple of months, six months, whatever it happens to be. Oh no, I'm going to come work for you guys now. And I'm going to, so we're going to buy your block. Now I'm going to work there with you. And it's just like, <laughs> we don't need you for that long. Like if you're selling the business, sell the business and kind of move on. So we see that on our side as well. Yeah. And you know, while we are not a new business, we launched in 2005, the Aria brand is still fairly new, you know, since 2018. So I guess even we're getting up there in years now, but I'm always curious to hear, and I know your firm, Michael, isn't new, but you're newer, a newer entrepreneur. What's the biggest challenge that you've been facing with the new firm on Grind? It's an interesting question. The newest challenge, I think probably the biggest, most pressing challenge with the whole thing. So we you know, I have a lot of conversations that are similar to this in the sense that there's a recognized need for this kind of support for business owners. And that can be talking to service providers or to owners or just to people who, hey, what are you doing these days? And, and you talk about it. And the response is always, I know people who need that. And people always know the person who's stuck in their business and doesn't know what's next and all of that. The biggest challenge that we're having, I'm trying to think, well, actually, someone gave me a great analogy for it when I was chatting with them last week. So essentially what Ungrind's doing for business owners is we're selling life jackets to Titanic passengers before they've even seen the water. Because we know that something is going to be problematic, tough, or challenging for them. And we know that this will help. You know, it won't necessarily be the panacea that fixes everything, but there's a solution for it. But they're not feeling the pain yet, and they don't have the problem yet. So the biggest challenge that we're facing right now is that it's difficult to actually bring owners around to the idea that you need to start thinking about this in advance and planning for it. As you guys would know, there are you know things like tax strategies that have defined time frames that you need to actually take advantage of literally years before you sell your business if you want to actually maximize. I guess minimize is probably a better term for it. But there are other components to this that's not like flicking a light switch. And the example you just gave is a good one where individuals, you know, the ones who don't want to keep on working afterwards, if you have a very, very active deep role in your business, there are a lot of people who would never want to work for someone else. So in their mind, when the time comes, they're going to actually, they're going to sell it. They're going to hand over the keys and they're going to walk away like they sold a house. And that's a very, very difficult thing to attain when it comes to the transition of a private company. But if you spend two, three years in the lead up to your exit, positioning yourself and positioning the business for that to happen, it can become a lot more plausible and maybe reality. But to get someone to think about that three years before they're ready to get out, is a challenge because it's still abstract in their mind and it's not something they're feeling as far as the pain goes right now. So just to be fully candid, that's the biggest challenge right now is the fact that everyone is very receptive conceptually to the idea, but it's almost like the ugly baby syndrome is expanded to the individual in the sense that they look at it and say, yep, that's a problem for sure that owners are going to have, but I'm good. It's not going to be a problem for me. When I'm ready, I'm just going to get out and we're not going to have the issue. 
which has been an interesting challenge to try and get through. Can we take a detour for a second? Because I hadn't planned on asking you this, but then I just remembered I asked Alex this question and I'd love to get your response and see how they compare. Because, you know, we were chatting before we hit record today and Alex is in one office in the house and you're in another office in the house. So there's not that divide really between work and the house, or maybe you have a strategy around that, but you're both working at home. So there's a lot of together time, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, right? Depends on your relationship, but you've got young kids too. So that's another challenge. From your perspective, what's that like working with your partner in the same household and really not ever having that separation time? And again, I I don't mean to frame it as a negative. I'm just wondering what that dynamic is like. It's interesting. It's a good question. I mean, it works surprisingly well, probably at least partially because of the nature of Alex and my relationship. The kid thing was rough for a while, not having kids, but we have a one-year-old who's still at home. Our now four-year-old turned four today, actually. Today's her fourth birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll pass that on to her. So she turned four today. She just started kindergarten. Before she was in kindergarten, she had about six weeks in the summer when her daycare shut down and kindergarten hadn't started yet. So we had two kids at home, childcare and Collingwood, at least I think in a lot of Canada can be challenging. So they didn't have childcare for it. Alex and I have a maybe a unique ability to kind of organically collaborate and work well together on all of this stuff. I mean, we don't strategize over who's doing kindergarten pickup or drop off on any given day, but it works somehow. One of us is available and we just make sure that one of us is out the door to go get Tori or drop her off. And with the kids around the house, I think that it's almost been advantageous. And this is actually one of the kind of upsides to COVID for lack of a better term, is that we've both been home most of the way through it. And we've both experienced kind of every aspect of our kids growing up as they've been growing up. So we've seen the positive side to it as much as I can see someone seeing your question as a kind of negative spun question, even though it's not to us, we've both been present for everything we've wanted to be present for. And we get just enough separation because we both have client needs outside of the house. So I would say probably one day a week, one of us is essentially gone for the day, whether it's prospecting meeting, client meetings, or, or just out at, at kind of networking events. So that provides a bit of a break. And as I mentioned to the two of you, I just get locked in my little cage in the basement and I'm in my, window, <laughs> my windowless cube. So she doesn't have to see me if she doesn't want to. And I'm stuck down here. But yeah, I don't have any kind of tricks for it. It just seems to work for us. And we're probably lucky in that regard. Well, as we chatted about before we hit record, that windowless cube could make, I'm planting the seed, could make an awesome podcast studio. So just so you know, you know, it's interesting. And I asked the question because I, I don't work with my spouse, right? And for the longest time, we struggled with, hey, guys, you know, let's keep family out of the business because, you know, it gets awkward sometimes, you know. And for the longest time, we kept Karen, who is Al's wife and our marketing genius guru, we kept her out of the business and she's been one of our best hires. And I kind of regret not having her on board sooner. And Al, was that a struggle for you? And, and sorry to pop this on you, but like, how do you balance that out with you and Karen? Because again, you're in the office most of the time, but how does that work? Like, what's the dynamic for you guys? Well, first of all, kudos to you because you know Karen's going to be listening to this podcast. Oh, you know, so you just yeah. oh yes, I'm always trying to get brownie points. <laughs> Karen, I need a favor. <laughs> so yeah, it is interesting, and I'm not going to say it's challenging. We've lived together long enough. We've been around together long enough, and it was less about the dynamics as opposed to just having someone in the family as part of the business. Because at the end of the day, what if it didn't work out? Right? Pretty awkward having to fire your own, in this case, wife's. But no, I'm with you, Michael. Like we kind of keep apart when we're 
working at home quite often. I'm in the office. It's worked out fine. And yeah, to your point, Robin probably could have hired her a lot earlier and would have been a lot further ahead. So I, I think so. I think so. And Karen, remember what I said. Don't, don't remember what Al said. Remember <laughs> what I said, Karen. Well, let's detour back to the business because I'd love to know before we get to Al's signature question, which I'm very excited about as always, what does your path look like going forward now? Like, What are you most excited about one, three, and five years with your uh, firm? Yeah, that's a good question. Part of the answer relates to the challenge I just described. So I think the kind of biggest realization for me over the last, I don't know, six weeks to eight weeks is the need to provide people with more of an on-ramp to this thought process, this conversation, this paradigm shift in the way that they're thinking. Part of the challenge is that we are basically trying to take owners and drop them onto the highway going full speed with this thing when they've been running a business for 20 years and always looking at it the same way. And instead trying to shift to a model where it's a slower transition, slowly move them away from the kind of traditional, again, back in that hamster wheel of business ownership and provide that on-ramp for them. And with a adjusted focus away I shouldn't say away from, but expanded to include owners that are farther from an exit in the sense that they can start to think this way. I mean, you could think this way 10 years out from selling your business and you could start to build and grow your business and build and grow your life in the framework without actually even thinking about a transaction. So instead of tethering it to the point when someone exits, instead, it's just starting to shift the way they think, the way they look at the business, starting to understand that it's an asset, it's an important asset, but it really is an asset. And it's the biggest tool that most owners have to achieve their own personal goals and to put yourself in a spot where you can use it that way and to make sure that you don't lose focus of why you're doing it. And owners will have the why for why they started the business and the why of the business I mean, there's obviously a lot of material about all that and, you know, the importance of that, but on the personal side that gets lost. So making sure that you don't lose track of it and you really understand for yourself as an individual, why you're doing that and, and using that model puts us in a position where we can kind of have a, a lighter touch engagement with owners for longer to keep them on track thinking that way. And then when they do get closer to an exit, then again, we've kind of on ramp them onto the highway. Now we can get a little more aggressive with the way that we're looking at it. You gave the example before, Robin, about whether or not someone sticks around after an acquisition. I had a really interesting conversation with somebody earlier this year who's he's in his early 70s, getting ready to, to sell this company. And he was adamant that when that time comes, he is not keeping any kind of role in the business. Like he's not going to work for someone else. It has to be done in a way where he's at, you know, maybe a six month transition window, but nothing longer. But he was describing a friend of his similar age who had recently sold a business when it was kind of a nine figure business as far as what he sold it for. And he said, but that guy had the opposite perspective. And he ended up in a spot doing M&A advisory work from a, you know, hey, who do we target perspective for the acquirer? So he knows the industry well. He wanted to keep on going. Knew he couldn't do what he was doing within his business, but wanted to still work connected to it and managed to design a role in the structure of the deal that was perfect for him. So getting into that meaty stuff is something that doesn't need to happen early on. Just helping people kind of get there and, you know, slowly work their way onto the highway and get up to speed with it. So if, if someone's listening to this, they're a business owner and they're thinking, oh, you know, this is really interesting. Maybe they've heard of this type of thing. Maybe they haven't. Maybe this is new to them. At what stage of their business? would it make sense for them to say, you know what, I'm going to give Mike a call because maybe I'm five years out, maybe I'm 10 years out. Like what's the appropriate time to say, hey, Mike, let's have a coffee and just have a discussion. The easiest answer is if you're actually starting to think I might be ready to get out soon. And the first piece of that discussion is figuring out whether or not that's true, because that's normally a reactionary response to something. Something's caused someone to say, I want out of this business. 
Not that they've gotten where they want to be normally, but something has them pushed out of it. So if someone has that thought, that's a great spot to start the dialogue is to really figure out, okay, well, let's talk about that and understand if you're having that thought because you're ready to move on. If you're having that thought because there's something about the business or your role in the business or the nature of the industry, whatever it might be, that's kind of pushing you out. The other piece of it is, or I guess the other kind of easy answer would be when people reach that crossroads of, do I want to scale this thing more or am I kind of happy with how things are going? Because at that point, understanding what your personal objective is, is massively important. But to use a really easy example, if you're running a massage table in your basement and you love dealing with clients, working on clients, the one-on-one aspect and the full flexibility of your time, then it probably doesn't make sense for you to open a massage studio somewhere with eight chair or eight tables and employees and all of that. On the flip side, if you were a masseuse who opened a table in your basement because, you know, financially that's what was viable at the time and you're at a spot now where, you know, you'd like to do something else or potentially add more, then maybe the other path forward is the right path. So if you reach that point, regardless of what your business is, where you start to question, okay, well, does it make sense to take that next step? You know, maybe it's a big financial commitment. Maybe it's going to be more time. That's also a good point because we can have that dialogue about, hey, why? Why for you would you do it? And there's no wrong answer. It's just figuring out what path makes more sense for you. I suspect that Robin is going to say that's a great spot to get to our my signature question. But I want to ask you one more thing. Maybe it'll be a quick answer. Maybe not. What's success look like to you? And that could be from the aspect of your business but it could be from the aspect of your personal life too. It's funny because that's a question. I mean, I I have similar dialogues with clients and prospects. Thought you might. (laughs) I don't think about it enough myself. I think that to me, fundamentally, success is a position where I essentially have, you know, freedom of my time, freedom of money, freedom of purpose, and just that flexibility. The ability to live the life that I want. I mean, I'm kind of halfway there already just being in Collingwood, but sustaining what I have now, which is a situation where, you know, I can drop my daughter off at kindergarten or pick her up most days because I can structure my day with the window from 3 to 3.30 p.m. being open to go do pickup because she runs out the door of the school and, you know, yells when she sees me and comes and wraps her arms around me. So making sure that I can be present for that, to me right now, that side is equally if not more important than the kind of financial side of all this. So mm-hmm. building and growing this thing in a way that, that supports that and not getting caught in that trap of endless hours and no ability to disconnect and you know keep myself present with Alex and my kids when I'm with them and not sitting on the couch with them with my phone out or sitting on a beach sending Slack messages. Trying to avoid that. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> well, wonderful. And I think that's great. It sounds like you are living exactly what you want to provide for your clients. So that's great. So why don't we jump into the final question? I don't know if Robin had given you a heads up or not. And as always, if not, and you're not comfortable with the question, we can do a pass. But otherwise, here we go. A society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting? Robin didn't necessarily warn me, but Alex warned me that it got philosophical at the end. I should have kind of clued in, but I didn't know exactly what the question was going to be. Interesting question. I think that the probably easy way out, but also the truest answer for me is my children and just trying to raise good people that have the right values, the right priorities, that type of thing. And then the other piece on the business side, I mean, I'm I'm obviously working at growing and scaling and grinding to something that ideally is significant down the road, but the message having seen it on the personal side 
with people that are quite close to me, the challenge for owners in understanding and thinking about themselves and breaking free from this perpetual kind of hustle and grind culture. If what I'm doing and the message that I'm relaying and the work that I'm doing starts to shift the way that owners look at their business and how it connects to their life and understanding that their personal satisfaction, success, and happiness can be tied to their business, but their business can also serve them in achieving that. I think that would be the other side of it for me. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I applaud you for you know trying to get some business owners, like you say, that are in the grind, thinking about that next stage. Well, that is a good point to end on, I think. So thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Alex, for a great introduction. So really appreciate that. Two great people in one household on the podcast. So that's amazing. What's the best way, Mike, for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Ungrind? I think LinkedIn will be best, either on the Ungrind company LinkedIn page or just me. So Michael Stark. All right. Well, this was very enjoyable. I appreciate you coming on. So that does it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you have questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends. Oh, 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 o